Hello everyone, welcome here in the European Parliament to an EPP group talk on EU-US relations. My name is Chris Burns and I'm joined by Radosław Sikorski of the EPP group. Welcome. Hello. Welcome. Uh, you are on the delegation for relations with the United States. So very much... I'm the chairman of the delegation. Chair of the delegation, exactly. You're also on the Foreign Affairs Committee, uh, on the Subcommittee on Security and Defense. And we're talking about this EU-US relations in uh, just in the context of what happened in Afghanistan, the, the disastrous pullout from Afghanistan. Uh, also, this recent uh, Australia, UK, US, the AUKUS uh, deal, uh, the alliance between those three uh, countries, uh, which involved a submarine deal worth billions that uh, got that um, replaced a French deal on submarines. And uh, so obviously that has soured relations between uh, Europe and the United States. Uh, the Secretary of State, U.S. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken, uh, is in Europe right now trying to do damage control, talking with the Europeans. Uh, a lot of people thought that with, uh, with President Biden uh, that uh, after Trump, this was a great improvement, but we have also seen complications. How, how difficult are relations uh, now, uh, Rado, and can we really trust the Americans as Europeans? Well, President Biden doesn't call us foes, which is an improvement. <laughs> and President Biden is not trying to fight a two-front war with China and Europe at the same time. So the big picture is good. There are irritants. We've um, dropped or, sus or suspended the Airbus-Boeing dispute, but we still have the steel and aluminum um, sanctions. Uh, but what I think will matter in the medium to longer term is the fact that we've launched the Trade and Technology Council. Mm. Uh, those are the issues, plus investments, plus ethical standards in the, in the production uh, of stuff, including data. Uh, there we are equals because we are equal-sized uh, economies. Um, the British, as you mentioned, got burnt uh, through non-consultation in, in Kabul, the French over AUKUS. Um, we have to face the possibility here in Europe that the United States uh, will get so involved in its uh, understandable rivalry uh, with China and its system of alliances in the Far East that it might not have the bandwidth or the, or the ability, uh, even uh, despite best wishes, right. to continue to pay as much attention to European security uh, as before when we were the central front. Well, did, didn't we see this, this pivot already with President Obama? when he, he, he uh, specifically declared that there is a pivot uh, toward Asia, and that is in part out of concern about the Chinese. And we saw that years ago. So how much of a change is that? Uh, those were words, now we have actions. Um, uh, the center of gravity of the global economy is moving to the Far East, and we've lost the bet on China. Uh, we, uh, How, what do you mean by lost the bet? We bet that if China is recognized as a free market economy, if it is admitted to the WTO, it would start abiding by the standards and it would liberalize, at least economically. Some of us even were hoping for more. This has not happened. Um, and the U.S. has military allies out there. We don't, but the U.S. does. Uh, Japan, uh, Philippines, South Korea. Uh, this, this, uh, India is buying more and more uh, American military equipment. Um, so, so you understand the pivot 
but, but you would like to make sure that the Americans don't forget the Europeans. Europe. No, first of all, we should, we should really internalize the fact that we don't control the situation anymore. It is China's change of strategy from the Deng Xiaoping doctrine of uh, build your strength, play for time, to wolf warrior diplomacy. Uh, it's China that started threatening countries. For example, Australia, uh, very aggressively, for, in retaliation for the fact that Australia demanded a, an honest investigation as to the origins of the pandemic. Mm. This is unacceptable. Um, uh, but as I say, the, the difference is that those friendly democracies are not uh, the military allies of Europe. So we will maintain our uh, arms embargo on China that we um, introduced after the uh, Tiananmen Square uh, massacre. Um, but yeah, apart from the British uh, and, and to some extent the French, uh, we don't really have the capability to help the US and the Far East. So what we should do is to take more care of our own security so that the US uh, can be freed for other challenges. Okay, that's something I'd like to get to right now, as a matter of fact, because you even said uh, recently in a speech here at the European Parliament, uh, my quote, I will quote you, that one lesson from the what you call the sorry fiasco uh, of the pullout from Afghanistan was that, quote, we must get serious about European defense if we'd been able to replace the Americans at Bagram Air Base, that's in, uh, in Afghanistan. This collapse might not have happened. We should be good allies of the U.S. We should not be at their mercy. So where do we go from here? I've repeated those words uh, today. Um, uh, because the uh, paper on uh, EU-US relations has been published. Um, I think it would benefit the United States because, uh, for example, in the new defense budget that the uh, Commission proposed, and it's now the law, half the money is devoted to military mobility in Europe so that tanks can actually be transported across the continent. This benefits NATO, clearly. Um, and... I think the U.S. should want us to be capable of taking care of some crises in our immediate neighborhood, mm -hmm. Libya, say. Okay. Um, so I think there is uh, there's perfect compatibility here. Uh, and, you know, we should not be at the mercy of the United States being a continent which spends over 200 billion euros per annum on defense. But so, but are, is Europe willing to spend 2% of their GDP as they'd committed themselves, the NATO members, on their defense? It's country, not happening yet. My own country, Poland, does. But we are a border, a flank country, so we are providing security for our... Uh, uh, comrades in the EU further uh, f further to the west, you know, they are surrounded by friendly EU states, so they can um, s spend the, the peace dividend, so it's unfair. So, so yeah. this is an argument for European spending uh, on defense. Um, uh, but but there, is, there are more arguments, you know, the United States, um, um, you know, if, if the 200 billion that I've already mentioned, one third of the US budget, gave us one-third of the U.S. capabilities, we would be doing really well. Yeah, because it, but we and, don't even have that. In part because I've read studies about this, in part because we spent, each country spends a lot of money separately on different things, on different kinds of tanks, on different yeah. kinds of transport planes. And if we can get that together, to consolidate, 
But that's a difficult political economic question, isn't it? If your defense was still based, as it once was, on state militias, that's where you would be. <laughs> but that's, that's half of me, because I'm a French citizen, too. Okay, right. right. <laughs> but, but you're absolutely right. This yeah. is, at heart, a constitutional issue. You know, between being a confederation and a federation. Yeah. And then it gets difficult, doesn't it? Yeah, that's true. That's true. Let's, uh, let's, let me ask you about uh, the report voted on today uh, on, the, on EU-US relations. It advocates, quote, a, a stronger cooperation with the US. Uh, so it's spinning it forward, uh, notably in the Indo-Pacific region. How do you imagine that? Uh, what about a similar cooperation, say, in the Arctic? I think that's more likely. I, I think in the Indo-Pacific, you know, there are some member states that have territories there, France, mm -hmm. uh, both Caledonia and uh, Tahiti, and one more island, I think, mm -hmm. which are actually parts of France. Uh, but I think most European states will just not want to get involved out there, and our publics will not allow us. But the Arctic is... Um, interesting because the hotter the climate, the longer the shipping uh, yep. period uh, uh, taking the northern route, which uh, uh, is very interesting. The Russians are trying to make it um, navigable. Uh, they are building infrastructure, you know, you need search and rescue, you need uh, lighthouses, that sort of thing. Yeah. And I think it's perfectly legitimate for them to compete for business with Suez and, uh, and other shipping lanes. Mm -hmm. And uh, last I heard that, uh, is that um, we could get to Japan in, 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 in 10 days faster mm -hmm. uh, using the northern route. Okay. Uh, but this will, of course, lead to disputes too. Um, we have important interests in, in the Arctic. Norway is not a member, Britain is now not, not a member, but Denmark, uh, Greenland, has not been sold to the United States and is uh, st <laughs> <Not yet. laughs> still, still part of Denmark, and therefore we have vital interests in the Arctic. Okay, but that, that sounds more like, to me like a, a NATO question. What about a European question, like, like what uh, Angela Merkel brought up the idea of a European army? Where, where do you stand on that? I think that the term European army is misleading because it suggests the joining up of national armies and I don't believe that will ever happen. Why not? Uh, because I can't imagine national parliaments voting through the passing on of control over their national army mm -hmm. to, to uh, union uh, bodies. What I can imagine is just like during the, uh, the um, American War of Independence, um, a, new for, a new force was created, the Continental Army. Mm. And which is why here in the European Parliament, I've been advocating the creation of a unit that would be composed not of, um, of units from the member states, but of volunteers from the member states that would mm. be paid for from the European uh, defense budget and answerable to the uh, Foreign and Defense uh, Affairs Council. Uh, and that could be used as an entry force in, uh, on, on the European periphery. Would that be added to the Eurocorps, which exists already? Well, Eurocorps is a initially uh, French-German thing, yeah. so that's the old model. That's the, mm. that's the, 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 the intergovernmental model. Right. I'm proposing a, a union model. Okay. Um, let me ask you then about now. The, the visit of uh, Secretary of State Anthony Blinken here in Europe this week what do you think the Europeans, what would you like to hear from him this week? 
Well, I'd like him to uh, confirm that the uh, Trade and Technology Council that we have just launched will be a vital uh, forum for coordinating minimum standards yeah. of, uh, of protecting our investments, of protecting our core technologies, of protecting um, uh, our trade standards. Which also allows, uh, greases the wheels of trade between across the Atlantic too, right? Indeed, indeed, and deprives our competitors of the opportunity to compete with us unfairly. Because, you know, if somebody doesn't have any ethical standards in experimenting on people, say, well, that gives them also a, a, a commercial advantage. Um, and we also need to sort out how we um, promote decarbonization. Because we will want in Europe, uh, we have to really, uh, as a, a, the more we charge in these green certificates for CO2 emissions, the more we need to impose a carbon tax on our border because there is an incentive for to produce outside and to make without, this without it and to make this work it should be on an international level right to to set uh, the the uh, emissions trading carbon prices things like that that would be best and i hope we will uh, in the light of recent revelations we will take joint action against unethical um, businesses and uh, and individual thieves who deprive uh, both the American and European exchequers of uh, due taxes. This thievery has been going on for too long. It is estimated that 50 billion euros, sorry, trillion, trillion. euros is hidden away in tax havens. We should criminalize uh, this thing we never we never legalized this uh, this process these, these, these were just loopholes invented by uh, over clever lawyers uh, we we've all suffered during the pandemic we've all taken out huge uh, debt mm -hmm. we're now raising taxes on both on both continents to to pay off that debt mm -hmm. while the billionaires and unscrupulous companies are avoiding paying any taxes as at all. This is outrageous and it has to stop. So to address this, and you're, you're making reference to the Pandora papers that just came out, uh, to, uh, to, uh, to address, to attack that, that issue, it does also have to be done on an international level to make it work, right? Sure, but it can be done. O the OECD already has a list of jurisdictions that don't collaborate with tax authorities. We should make it simply illegal to hold accounts or register companies in those jurisdictions. We can do it. Because that also that includes the Europeans, uh, Korea, the Americans, the Organization for Economic Cooperation. Without blame either. So yes, we all have to sort out our own messes. Let me zoom back out again because European leaders are meeting in Slovenia this week to talk about Europe's place in the world. And in the context of what we saw between these relations with the U.S., what is, what is Europe's place in the world? Can you give a general idea what you think. How do you envision that looking ahead? Well, there are three global power centers of roughly the same size, economically speaking. Uh, we are actually, if you look on the CIA webpage, uh, bigger than the United States in terms of uh, GDP. Um, so we are the, the largest, the most populous, the richest uh, area of not just economic freedom, but also human rights, democracy, 
um, and a desirable way of life. Uh, look, there is a reason why millions of people are trying to live here rather than somewhere else, why we have this migration problem. Um, but So we should be an example to follow on all kinds of issues. Okay. Um, and something else I just want to mention, but this is toward the end here, is uh, I covered the White House uh, for CNN uh, for, uh, in 2003, during the, during the Bush 2 presidency, Bush 43. And every time I went into the White House, I would walk by the statue of Marquis de Lafayette. Ah, but I'm, I hope you didn't miss the statue of Tadeusz Kościuszko. Also Kościuszko, mm-hmm. exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. And just, just to make reference to that, too, is that my family is Franco-American, my wife is Polish, and, and so we have all of those uh, in the family, and it is quite inspiring to think about that. My, my French and American grandfathers and father and uncle were in, in, two, in world wars. And let's remember the United States is the most successful former British colony. Yeah, yes, exactly. And so this idea of the, the depth of these relations are something that uh, are, are, are inseparable. You, you, you can't ignore that. And hopefully we can overcome. How, how optimistic are you that we can overcome what we just went through now? What we say in Europe is that you Americans, if I may say so, <laughs> you can have affairs all over the globe, but to us, you're married. Radosław <laughs> Sikorski, <laughs> thank you so much. Thank you. Uh, thanks to all for watching, and we'll see you again next time. This is the EPP group uh, here in the Parliament, and you can follow the group on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, at EPP group, and of course the website, eppgroup.eu. Thanks for watching. I'm Chris Burns. See you next time.